A big thanks to CCD, Ann W., John B., Karen C., Millie, Anna K., Megan R., Anna D., Sarah B., Diz G., Peter K., KDW, Mary Claire P., Meredy M., Molly D., Kathleen B., Tracy, Kirsten H., Heather V., Eric S. Hey, listeners, our Patreon page is live. We would love for you to support us. You can go to our website, failforwardpod.com. You can donate today. I kind of started to think, you know, I've had a really crappy teen years. So I think that this is part of some grand plan and it's going to be awesome when I'm older. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. So I'm really excited to have my friend Kate Nelson. She is the author and founder of Change Guides, which is a book, an awesome book. What do we call that? A little pocket book. So that book is called The Change Management Pocket Guide. Oh, my God. We have two others now. Yeah, because you're a famous author. Oh, God. It's true. Um, You have two others. Two others, yeah. What are they? Um, One of them is called The Eight Constants of Change. Yes. And the other one is called Managing Change in an Agile World. Okay, so, Kate, we're going to get into that in a minute. Listeners, um, the reason why I wanted Kate to be here is because um, I've recently been reading about the importance of having expanders in your life. And an expander is somebody that does something similar to what you do, but they are more successful at it, right? And so you have them as a model of somebody to strive for, like what they've produced, what they've put out to strive for. And it's supposed to be really beneficial from a neuroscience standpoint, because if the brain sees that somebody else can do it, you're more likely to believe that you can do it. So very cool. I don't think you knew that, but you are one of my expanders. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. I love I... the author and the book and, and the business that you built Thank all you. on your, well, with Stacy, but the yeah. two of you built. Thank you. That's so nice. Yeah. Well, I love that you're always, you always teach me things like about expanders. Thanks. Every time I listen to the show, I feel like I learn something new, which thank is you. super exciting. So thank you. You're welcome. All right. So let's start. Where were you born and raised? Well, I was born in Rumson, New Jersey, but I moved around a lot. My dad was in the Navy. Okay. Um, so we spent most of our summers in New Jersey, where my mom's family was. We I was actually born there because my dad was in Vietnam on a boat. And, really? um, and then, so we moved around a lot. I spent most of the time growing up actually in Naples, Italy. Um, all through kind of my formative years. And then we moved back to the States, and my family's been in Virginia Beach, Virginia, since I was 14. So. Okay, so your dad being in the Navy, what was what did he do in the Navy? He was a dentist. He was like an executive officer. Okay. So um, had a slightly different kind of experience through the Navy than a lot of people do, but um, it was great. But, but so the things that you had in common with other people in the Navy, you traveled a lot, you, you moved around a lot. Yep. And we relied on our family a lot because that was who we had all the time. Yeah. Um, we went to kind of Department of Defense schools. Um, That's so interesting. It was, yeah. It was. It What's was really the difference? Explain maybe that. What is that school like versus like a public school? Yeah, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the, they're in, in most of those, in, in other countries especially, 
There are there will be like an American school, which is kind of a private school. A Department of Defense school is for Americans or even a lot of NATO people. Will you know English or German or whatever? But it's all in English. Um, but it's more like a public school in another country. Okay. So having that upbringing, how do you think that impacted you the most? You know, that's a great question. Um, I took to it really kind of naturally. It was not. It wasn't as natural for my sister. Um, I think it made me pretty resilient. I yeah. think I've had a lot of things in my life that have made me resilient, but I think that made me pretty resilient because it was always something new. And how, you got to you got to reinvent yourself every couple of years, which I thought was kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, how so, often were you moving? Like literally every um, two years or like yeah, three years? Yeah, exactly. Except for when we were in Italy. We were there for a longer period of time there. But I you know, moved different, to different schools during that period of time. Oh. And so because I was aging into oh, right, right, different, right. yeah. So okay, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, so all right, so you live all over. Go to college. Where do you go to college? I went to the College of William and Mary in Virginia. Awesome. Yes, <laughs> and then right out of there, I went to Ohio State for graduate school. Really, I got a master's in natural resources because I was going to save the world one tree at a time, and then decided that there was not a lot of work in that field. Yeah, besides working at a park, which I would love, but was not necessarily the full career path I was looking for. So then I got an MBA at Ohio State also, and then went into environmental consulting when I started my career. Oh, I did not know it was environmental consulting. Yeah. Interesting. Quite a niche. It was a, it was great until about a year and a half into my career at Deloitte Consulting, the firm realized that it wasn't very profitable. <laughs> so they were getting out, and I was either going to go find another job or I was going to switch to something that they weren't getting out of. Yeah. So and did they move you to did you move to Cincinnati with them? Yep, right out of graduate school. Okay. Now, two great things happened when you worked at Deloitte. One, you met your husband, and yes. two, you met your change guide partner, right? Both of them on almost probably the same day, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Well, you know, I I met Ty when I first started working at Deloitte. Yeah. But then he moved away to go to graduate school, so I didn't really know him, but I know he was there and we had met. Okay, so, got it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're working there. What prompts you to start this business and to write this book with Stacy? Part of it was a little bit of a nudge from Ty. Um, I had been working with a client that I knew was using tools around project management yeah. and around DMADV and DMAIC, which are kind of like Lean and Six Sigma yes. processes. Yeah. And, um, and they had these great little toolkits. And we were sitting at some sushi place. I don't know if it was Ichiban or something like that in Mount Lookout Square. Yeah. And um and I said, gosh, you know, there should be one around change management tools. And I said, why don't you write it? And I was like, really? And um he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I can't do that. Why not? I don't know. And so I called Stacy and I said, what do you think? And she said, let's do it. And so that was the start of it all. Okay. So was Stacy doing the same thing you were doing? How what was she the had, connection with Stacy? She was doing change management consulting at Deloitte also. She had left the firm and was working, um, teaching up at Miami University after she had her son. Oh. And so, but we were just friends and I was still working and she was teaching and it Perfect. all just came together. So how long did it take you to write the book? Pocket oh. Guide. Um couple of months. It was quick. Really? A couple of months, yeah. And then once you wrote it, was it hard to get published? Well, we self-published it, um, which... Which was new then. It was Not very everybody new. was self-publishing then. Yes. And it was a little naive. We didn't quite know what we were doing, but we were, you know, 
taking it one step at a time. Like, okay, we need to get that little number on the back of it. What's that called? Oh, the is- pull ISBN up the Google. or whatever? Yes, and you pull up the Google, and there it is. And you're like, okay, how do I get one of those? And so we just kind of did it step by step. And then sure enough, we started selling it on Amazon. And the first week, they bought like two. And then like two weeks later, they bought like another one. And then all of a sudden, within- It was on Amazon? A couple of months. Yeah, we put it on Amazon. All of a sudden, it moved to the top of the change management list. And we're like, what happened? We think there was a glitch at Amazon. <laughs> but somehow, it became popular. And um, and it's still kind of in the top half percent of books sold on Amazon. It, Seriously, um, yeah, we sell a lot of them, so it's great. And then everything kind of grew out do of there. Like any promotion of it? No, just Amazon. Yeah, you know that's like a miracle story. It's it, I, I think there was maybe a technical glitch. I really do because I think when people when people search for something, they they pick one of the top things that show up, and the top things that show up are the things that sell the most. So now that it shows up. It's kind of a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because sure, sure, it's up sure. there. Right. Um, and it's a really good book. It's not it's, dry. Yeah. It's user. So when it's I really learned useful. it, I didn't know anything about change management, and it was useful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's straightforward. practical. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. Just really practical, straightforward. You know, you can use it. It's super easy for anybody to pick it up and figure out what to do. Yeah. So. So um, one of the other things that I love about you, and we talked about this earlier, is that I did some work. Remember, I did that one project for you, and one of my consultants, one of my contractors, oh, yes. like super effed it up. Yes. And I remember being like so upset and worried that you were going to be mad at me. And you were like, it's going to be okay. We'll figure it out. Yeah. That- we still work with that client. They're fine. <laughs> I'm serious. Oh, we still have gracious. people working at that same client. I know you do. This many oh, years I know later. you do. This, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was my first, like, I, I loved your response to that. So, and it's, it's like you don't sweat the small stuff. So, can you give some listeners some perspective on why you think you don't sweat the small stuff? Well, you know, maybe share some of your story. Yeah. Um, well, when I was young, we moved back from Italy, and I would think I was 11. And that summer, I started getting sick, and it took a long time for doctors to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, but it turned out that I had ulcerative colitis, which became colon cancer within probably a year and a half. Um, it, was, it wasn't something they could control with medication. And so I ended up having surgery to remove my colon. I had to have a colostomy bag on the side of my body mm. for about a year or so. For an 11-year-old. I, at this or point, 12. I was 12 and a half, okay. which is worse, I think, than right, an 11-year-old. Totally. Um, I remember wanting to be on the swim team, and I couldn't because I had this swimsuit that was kind of made out of jersey material almost to try to hide the fact that I had a colostomy bag on my body. Um, swim team was not my thing. Didn't work out for me because the, the swimsuit and the colostomy bag was not a good combination. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I had surgery to turn, kind of remove the colostomy bag and turn it all back inside out, inside and connect everything so I could kind of walk around like someone who hasn't had all this stuff going on with them. Right. So the whole process took probably until I was about 14. Wow. Um, so I was out time. of school a lot. I was really sick at times. I, you know, I was in ICU for large stretches at a time due to all the things that go wrong when you're in a hospital for a long time, you know, punctured lung, infection, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I think I learned pretty early on to kind of, meh, you know, can't be that bad. I think a couple of good things came out of it. One, um, 
it it made me kind of have a little bit more perspective and not sweat the small stuff so much. Yeah. I think it also gave me a mindset that I'm not sure why I believed this, but I kind of started to think, you know, I've had a really crappy kind of teen years. Yes. So I think that this is part of some grand plan that I'm going to, it's going to be awesome when I'm older. Yeah. You know, like I just kind yes. of had this belief that because I had been through all this, that, oh my gosh, I'm like, that I'm, everybody has difficulty in their lives, but since mine, I've already, I've gotten it all done with, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be fantastic. I just had that kind of belief, which, I mean, is really young and naive and whatever, but I think it worked out for me to have like a positive mindset that, yeah, you know, things are going to work out. Kind of off topic a little bit. What, how were your parents during that time? Like what, how were they caregiving? What, it what was, were they like? Because knowing you're a parent now. Yeah. It was not perfect. I think part of the, there was stress in their marriage a lot that was caused by me being sick that is probably something that has never been fully repaired. Um, Did you know that at the time? I think I definitely sensed that there was... Oh, that's t- kind of tough, too. Yeah. It, was, um, it wasn't great. Uh, my mom, she is not very good at coping. Um, and it like was... Like fragile? Kind of a fragile exactly, person? Exactly. Exactly. And unfortunately, during that period of time, I, I think I kind of started to not respect her because I was young and arrogant and whatever. And, um, and I think that was really unfortunate. Now that I'm older, I realized yeah. that I kind of... I kind of was like, oh, she's so weak. You know, I'd yeah. roll my eyes at her. And I know I know, young kids do that, especially teenage girls. But I think it was worse. I think I, you know, she gave me ammunition to kind of like hold against her for not being what I thought she should be. Yeah. Um, or not being what you needed. That's, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, my, and seeing my dad trying to be what he thought we needed, but... He, you know, he was Sometimes one of those guys from you need from your mother. Yeah, exactly. And he was, you know, he was an army guy, and he grew up with his dad. His dad was an ambassador at the United Nations, and um, was very kind of, you know, successful and aloof and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So my dad never said he loved me until I was like what? out of grad school. You know, it was. Did just, your mom? Oh, all the time. Oh, okay. But my, you know, I'm sh- I know he does, but of he just course. didn't say it. You know, yeah. like he didn't. It was different. You know, but I think yeah. a lot of parents are. Our, our parents' age were a little... 100%, just yeah. different. Because what they were raised right. by, the, the standards that they were raised with right. were different. Yeah. And now I th- it's, it's funny because now as, as he's, you know, in his mid-80s, he's very effusive and loving and, you know, notes all the time and calls, I'm so proud of you and all this wonderful stuff that really? I don't know if that's... If that's he's trying to make up for, yeah, it's yeah. um, it's super sweet. He's really great. I mean, they're both great, but um, I, me being sick, ch- challenged them both. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Has it impacted your parenting? That's a great question. You know, I think, I think it probably has. Yeah. I think um. I think it's probably Im- impacted my parenting differently for my the two kids. Um, like one versus the other, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I would see how it's impacted me in the way I parent my daughter. And then I would see it 
come out a different way in the way I impact my son, or parent my son, which I think is actually a really interesting question. Um, I think also it it impacted me so much that it's hard to know. Um, you know, I think going through high school and then getting going into college, there was a lot of kind of un um, unresolved stuff yeah. from being sick. When you're sick like that, you have a lot of you spend a lot of time on a table with your butt up in the air and people walking in and out of the room looking at you. Yeah. And when you're a 12 and 13-year-old girl, that's no good. No. Um, I didn't like it. Um, and I think it it stayed with me for a long time. Actually, it still does. I was, I was at my colorectal surgeon yesterday. And um, as soon as we start talking about me having to have some procedure, she's like, oh, you have PTSD still. Because I think about it, I'm like, oh, like I it just, you know. Do you mind explaining it a little bit more? Because I get it, but I don't totally get it. Well. Is it like a body image? That, what is it? A vulnerability? I think, I think it's the vulnerability. I think, you know, also I was I was at the National Naval Medical Center and NIH. where So there was a teaching hospital. So there was always at least like six male doctors walking in when I'm just on the table with my naked butt yeah, and they're sticking a tube in it. Yeah. Um, and they're looking around and they're taking biopsies. And I mean, it happened. I mean, for the six months they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me. It was, I can't even count the number of times that yeah. we, this kind of, and I, no one ever said, how are you doing, sweetie? <laughs> you know, like, are you okay? No one like stood there and rubbed your back or no. said it's going to be okay. They just wanted me to be physically well. Yeah. And they did that. And I think they never thought about... The mental piece. Yeah. Like, what else should we be talking to her about? I bet today, at Cincinnati Children's, it's so different. I bet it is. I would hope it is. Because it it definitely left an impact. Yeah. Yeah. As I get older. So yeah. how do you see it coming out? And then how do you... Because you are so good at awareness and, and recognizing. Yeah. You're very in touch, too, with your, like, um, gut around things yes intuition so how do you yeah you know i think um i think probably because it started to come out my my unresolved um kind of thoughts and feelings about everything that i'd been through when i was younger started when i was kind of late high school and in college started to come out through eating disorders and um kind of ultra risky behaviors Mm -hmm. um drinking too much you know it i had i was kind of addicted to laxatives and was abusing those for a long time as kind of a form of bulimia sure um and so as that was all happening i started to go to therapy and um so i think that helped me become pretty kind of in touch with how i'm how i'm doing yeah Um, but it took a long time it took a long time yeah i mean yeah um you know what else you can do seamlessly is connect with people. Like before we got into the studio, we literally could have talked on five different topics for five hours. We could have, couldn't we? Right? Yeah. And what do you attribute attribute that to? I don't know. I don't know. Well, before it's because of you because I mean, that's what that's what you're good at. So I'm not sure if it was just me. Um, I think it was mostly you. Um, I think it's both. But um, I'm not exactly sure. I do think I do think I'm pretty in touch with how I'm feeling. I was um, 
I don't I don't go to therapy anymore. Um, but I did for a long time. Yeah. And I was, you know, I had some what would I call them? I would like acute um periods of mental health challenges where yeah. I was kind of a mess, went into an in-treatment facility for a couple of weeks to be like, okay, what's really happening here? Yeah. Um and since then, I feel like I'm really good at taking care of myself physically, um, spending time with friends, doing things like going to yoga, running. I think running has been your savior. Oh, yeah. Are you still it's running been, every day? I run probably like three times a week now. Yeah. I wish I could run every day. But now it's it's more also, it's not just the the kind of physical release. It's also that it's kind of time with friends and yeah. And that means a lot. Yeah. Um, so I think that is a big part of it is just taking time to kind of spend time taking care of myself. But, you know, I, I had like this was in the last couple of months. I was really stressed out about some stuff. And um, I could actually like see in front of me that tunnel of darkness, you know, mm -hmm. like and mm -hmm. I, I kind of like I could feel that like, oh, I remember that really terrible feeling of being feeling like you're in darkness and you can't get out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if you have never been depressed, I, it's hard for you to understand what that means. But if you have ever, if you've ever been anxious or depressed or something, you would understand that feeling of like that you're in the dark and there's no light anywhere and you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out? And so when I could see that tunnel yeah, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, no, I don't want to go there. Okay. Time to meditate, time to go for a run, time to talk to my friends. Yeah. Time to like start thinking about, okay, now why am I seeing that there? Why am I feeling that? And then can kind of back away from it, which I think is, I think it's a gift to be able to kind of recognize it. Um, and that hadn't happened in a long time. Totally, but, because some people chemically can't just use those tools, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I feel like, and there was a period of time when, you know, when I was younger, that I needed medication and things like that too, but I'm not sure what happens as you get older. Whether you, whether your chemistry changes, or if you or get better you just using learn the tools. coping tools. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So I, I, I've never had the depression piece. I, I can't relate to that. Um, the anxiety piece, I can, but I, that depression piece is something totally different, and it's a doozy. Yeah. It's scary. Mm -hmm. It's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's what I worry about the most for, you know, my kids. You know, you think about, oh, they could, what if they inherit some, you know, right. some of your, like, disease or whatever. I'm like, as long it, as it's not the depression. Like, you know. <laughs> you can have the right. others. Yes. We're going to be fine well, otherwise. We just don't want that one. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that, I yeah. mean, you know, listening to Neil Tu's, um podcast, it, I thought was interesting as he described how in his view, and I, and it's not like a scientific kind of thing, but it resonated with me that I do see that there's a connection to somehow it kind of me going through the mental or the physical health challenges I had kind of maybe triggered or made me more susceptible um, to some of the kind of mental health challenges that yeah, I had. Because he talked about the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I do think it was, Yeah. And I do think too, having having a parent that keeps you safe. Yeah. If you don't have that safety and security as a young person, right? It does something. Yeah. It's going to do something. Yeah. 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 
And I think, you know, when I think about parenting, yeah, having your kids know that they are kind of, you know, that they are needed and they are fully seen is something that I don't know if I consciously learned that, but I think I subconsciously am con- like am, am when I'm with my kids, wanting them to know that, you know, we see them fully. So I love that line, I see you, and I I don't know the translation, and clearly I can't say it, but it's an African translation oh, wow. of I see you, and it's used in a tribe over and over um, to loved ones. Oh, wow. And I think it's so beautiful. Like, yeah. if somebody really says to you, and, and, and actually a friend of mine and I will do it, um, Rhiannon, that's a shout out to you, but it is I see Love you. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Isn't that good? Yeah, that's really, yeah. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we do it just for fun, like, you know, with your fingers to your eyes, like, hey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah. you, I, I got, got you. you, like, right? Yeah. But I like the, yeah, those words are. They're powerful. They really are. And they cre- and when you mean it, it, yeah. it creates that safety and security that everybody yeah. needs. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. What else? I'm not sure if any of that led to my career choices or anything, but um, I do think it's it's, Ooh, let's look fun. At that, it's fun to work in a in a space where we are kind of kind of connecting what people need in terms of what they need in the moment um, in terms of control and understanding and support and purpose and what they need from a, from a neurological perspective to be able to engage um, it's so it's I think I've, that's part of helped me learn yeah. also. Have For ever, sure, there has to be a connection. I didn't even, yeah. like, good g- way to go. There has to be a connection between what you grew up with and those experiences and then how, because you, you help people work through changes all yeah. the time. I yeah. mean, I know that's yeah. so stupid yeah. and obvious, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, Totally. Which is a lot of discomfort for people, man. But you yep. have to have compassion for yep. them. Yep. Right. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it's such an it, that's it's so interesting that you use those words because that's because that's I think that's right. Like compassion, I I usually say empathy. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. It's it's kind of it's compassion. Like I I understand where you are, and I need to I need to treat you compassionately yeah. in this kind of situation. I think it's interesting. That a big part of my job also, though, is giving people rough news in a way that's that's compassionate but true, true, like, straightforward, and you yeah. know, and like not honest, um, honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, I, like, what would be an example? Like, when do you have to give? Like, from a change management perspective. Like, tell um, me. Oh, here's a here's an example that's just kind of a real one from recently. Um, yeah. There was an organization that I've been helping coach the leaders a little bit around. They're trying to build a new type of culture, okay. and they are um, they're they're trying to get the whole organization to adopt kind of a new way of thinking about some things. And something that's really important in this change is that they need people to feel more comfortable speaking up, and um, and so that's kind of one of the foundations of building the kind of place they need to build. People need to actually feel comfortable and actually need to speak up. Mm-hmm. And so I was with one of the leaders, and we were in a meeting, and someone said something, and he said something back. And after the meeting, I had to say, 
no, 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 no. Because what you just, you told them they need to speak up. But when they did speak up. You shut them down. You totally shut them down. And that's that's not what we're trying to do here. Right. Um, and so. Did they hear you? Oh, he totally heard me. Yeah. He was like, oh. I did do that. I did do that, didn't I? Yeah. And you have to build a relationship over time where you can kind of say those kinds of things. They have but, um, to trust you. Yeah, right? Like, because, and I think that's one of the great things about being external sometimes is like, we don't really have, this is- You don't have any skin, don't have skin in, the game. in the game. Yeah. You're non-threatening, you're yeah. there to help, yeah. and that's, yeah. And if you objective. don't like what I have to say, you can just tell me to go and I'm <laughs> gone. fire me. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, the reason people hire us is to tell them things. To tell and them so the truth. if I'm not telling you the truth, then- why? Why did you hire me to? Like that's that's why I'm here. So, have you ever had um, a client that was like, "Mm-mm, you're out, skis." Um, no, we have had the opposite. We've never had a client who know who didn't like our because it's one of the things when we when we're kind of contracting with a client initially too is we kind of we kind of put out some ground rules that say, so here's what we want to do and here's what that means. Here's what it's going to take from us. Yeah. We're going to need to be honest. We're going to need to be present. We're going to be available, all this stuff. Here's what it's going to take from you. You need to be open. You need to be honest. You need to be available, et cetera. And so we can kind of go back to those and say, you know, so remember when we started this project, we agreed yeah. that we were going to be honest with each other. And so I'm going to tell you something that just happened that I think probably didn't go as well as it should have. Um, so we have had clients, though, where... Where the guy will say, "Oh yeah, you're right," or the person, you know, I I heard that, I I shouldn't do that again. But then they keep doing it, and then yeah. we we say, you know, we we're out, right? Because you're wasting your money if you keep paying us to to tell you not to do what you clearly want to do, right? <laughs> because you keep doing it. Because you keep doing it, <laughs> and we keep saying, "Please don't do that," but you keep doing it. Um, so we've had two situations over our. 15-year oh history where we've, 14 years where we've had to say, I think we're out. So, Kate, when I first got my master's in counseling, um, I must have said something to my brother, like using my counseling techniques. And he was like, quit using your counseling techniques on me. Has anybody at home said that to you <laughs> around like change or anything like that? Like your Don't kids? change, manage me. Yeah, don't um, change, manage me. I don't Mom. think they have. They're probably not old enough, though. They, you anyway, know, and they? they do not appreciate that I like. <laughs> I, I think they just see me as the one who's like, you know, who's kind of there and makes sure that stuff gets put away. Like, I don't think they appreciate that I actually like have like a job. So, which is interesting because, then this is what I love about. I'm just going to keep going again. But when when your husband was building up his business. You were the breadwinner, man. Oh, yeah. You really were for a number of years. And they were little for that. But you that was you. Yeah. And I loved that. Yeah. No, definitely. It's they they don't quite, yeah, appreciate that. Uh -huh. He does. Of they don't. Of course he does. I remember yeah. one of the craziest things when I think his mother would have preferred to have a daughter-in-law who was a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> and when I was not being a stay-at-home mom because we were, um, we didn't have any income, Unless I was working, working, yeah. Um, I was so tempted all the time to kind of like have her realize that the reason I'm doing all this. Of course, I love my job, right? But I know there was that part of me that just wanted her to be like, 
you know, I get it that my my son, who is oh. the second coming, <laughs> is um is not isn't earning an income, and that's what like it was. Right. But I I didn't do it. You were the good daughter. I, yeah, you I didn't stick it to her. No, I didn't. I just yeah yeah because I loved working anyway. Right, I loved working anyway. You wouldn't have done it if you didn't love it. That's correct. I would have. I would have done something probably because, yeah. or else he would have done something that actually right. earned an income. Right. Um, yeah. He but I don't. But I don't know if everybody knows that. So I think yeah. that's very cool. But I do also think you know, like we're a good partnership because I think we coach each other a lot. Like he pushes me. Like for example, you should yeah. write that book. You should do it. Right. Really? Yeah. You should do that. He he thinks big, and um, he encourages me to kind of like follow whatever I want to do. Yeah. Um, and I think I, you know, I coach him a lot, like around things that are happening at work and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think we're lucky that we we kind of make a good. You're a yin and a yang. Yeah. 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 It and is we look a good at things really differently. Maybe tell listeners what your husband's business is. So um, my husband started a healthcare staffing company in Cincinnati, along with some partners in town 15 years ago, um, called Health Carousel. And um, we we were laughing probably 10 years ago. This uh, One of his partners would laugh and say, you know, we're the biggest overnight success that's been 10 years in the making, because it <laughs> took a long time. Yeah. Um, and in the last five years, they've grown a ton. But the first, you know, the first lots were lean, uh-huh. very lean. Yeah. So, yeah. If you know Kate's husband, the two of them, you are kind of very polar opposite. Yeah, we're a human different. beings. Yeah. 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 Yep. Well, many would say that's true of Dave and I. Okay. Y- y- yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. That is true. Yeah. It's good. It's that's good so mix. funny when you say that. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. But I don't, I can't picture you guys not with each other though, which is kind of interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. All right. Yeah. Any last minute um, words of wisdom or, you know, things that that you're like, Sarah, we need to talk about this. I don't know. Do you want to do you want to give a, a last minute change management quote? A change management quote? Oh, yes. My favorite. Oh, go. Oh, wait. Actually, you know, I have two. Okay. Oh, this is such a good one. And um, I heard this from Matt Nitzberg at Don Humby. Should I, I know even, who that is? Uh, no. Sorry, Matt, I don't know if he's know still you. around in Cincinnati. Okay. Um, and I don't know whoever said it. Okay. But he said it once in a meeting, and it stuck with me forever. Problems worth attacking prove their worth by pushing back. Wait, dude, you got to say that again. Problems worth attacking prove their worth by pushing back. So to me, that means anything worth doing is going to be hard. And it's okay if something's hard. Don't just give up, right? It doesn't yeah. need it doesn't need to be easy. I have a client who works for a big company in town, and he's called me. He calls me every once in a while, and he talks about things. And he says, "You know, I think we might need to bring you guys in." And I say, "Well, what are you guys doing?" And you know, he starts talking about it. I'm like, "You guys are doing all the right stuff. Just because it's hard doesn't mean this is that that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. You guys are doing it. Yeah, it's, just, it's hard. That's okay." Hard is fine. Hard is actually good. So I love the quote that I know things but, like but things you, that are worth but, doing but are you have are um, the ability though to stick with it even when it's hard. Not everybody has that. Yeah, but I think it's so much more. Rewarding but I agree if you with do. you. I know. I agree. Yeah. Dave Brown always says um, 
If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Exactly. Same thing. Same. Right? Yes, exactly. So, I mean, I think something that's hard is good. You know, you have someone who's going to be on one of your Ados um, podcasts coming up. Yeah. And um, I remember talking with his parents kind of back when he was struggling with some of the things that he ta- will talk about on his um, podcast. And, um, and I remember them saying, you know, like, you know, it's so hard. It's so yeah. hard. And working through it was so hard. But but that was a good thing, right? Like, because if it was if it was easy, then that means something's not getting resolved, right? Like, yeah. it's the fact that it's hard, like, that's good. You know, yeah. embrace the hard. Like, just push into that. People need to hear that more. Yeah. And remember that, especially when they're in, the, in a tough time. Yeah. I think hard is where you grow. That's where you grow and learn, you know? So... Okay, right. that was like the yeah. perfect ending right yeah. there. So I do have one more quote if you want to hear it, but we don't have to no. say the other one. No, uh-uh. okay. I feel like this that was, was... That's a good one. That yeah. was really... That was like I had the chills. That's yeah. what we needed. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. 